and welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and this is my podcast where I get to talk to coaches about coaching um, and we're having a second attempt at this different type of show. We've got Scotty Williams back to talk to me again. Thanks for coming in again, Scotty. It's a good sign, mate, that you've welcomed me back. <laughs> we so, have got uh, you back. That's good. <laughs> regular feature. If we're lucky. We had some... We actually had some some good comments on uh, some good feedback on the last chat that we had. So, um, would encourage everyone to to get onto the social handles that we've supplied and um, share some ideas and share some thoughts on what you want to hear about. But um, I thought today we'd expand a bit on what we spoke about last time. So we talked about um, keeping uh, track of your your players and how they're going about their training and their wellness and their fitness um, and we had a story in there about um, the Taiwanese golf team that I had there for a while that I essentially gave them the chance to step up and take control of their own training and practice and I thought we would expand on that a little bit more so giving your students the power to take more control over their training so I'm going to come at it from a golf coaching perspective mm. um, Obviously, with your expertise, you'll come at it from a fitness perspective, but I'm just curious to to expand on that conversation. So, for people who didn't hear the hear the chat last time, I'd encourage you to go back and check that episode out. But essentially, I was coaching in Taiwan, and I had the national squad over in the states to play a series of tournaments, and we had a bit of a break at the start of the trip where um, we didn't have anything coming up, so I decided to wait until they came to um, to talk about practice to me rather than me telling them what they had to do. And um, I sat in the hotel room for two days, essentially, until they actually came to me and said, are you cranky? And I said, no, I'm not. I was just curious at how long it would take you to actually ask to go and train. And that took two days. But from that time onwards, they took a lot more control over their training and they started to set the schedule a bit more often. Um, they started to come to me and say, okay, I'm going to train for this amount of time at this period of time and we're going to do this, this, this and this. And they started to organise when we got on – the in, in, into the cars to go to tournaments and that kind of thing as well. So that was where this conversation started and I thought we'd go mm. a bit further on that today. So um, do you want to talk about that from your point of view, Scotty, early on? And how is that something that you would use with your students as a general rule? It's probably a different space with, um, mm. with regards to, to strength and conditioning because it's obviously a, a health and safety issue there as well. We don't want them going off doing stuff by themselves where they can get hurt. Yeah, well, I guess my, my first thought is I can just, I'm just trying to imagine myself sitting there in the gym um, in the corner saying nothing for my sort of hour, hour and 15-minute session I've got with my golfers and uh, see how much exercise they actually do. And for how many weeks could I get away with doing that before, <laughs> before I get in trouble? But, um, yeah, so obviously – empowerment um, comes in sort of two forms. You know, we had a really quick chat just before we got on here. And, you know, from a scientific point of view, empowerment um, typically involves the game sense approach where as a coach, you're trying to lead the athlete to have an experience where they learn the lesson that you wanted them to learn. So whether it's uh, self-awareness in managing themselves or whether it's um, trying to learn a, a tactic or a skill for the sport. 
you would give them an activity where they have the experience and obviously debriefing afterwards can solidify that, perhaps prompting them before before the activity to, to pay attention to a certain thing might enhance that that experience so that they get the lesson without necessarily you explicitly telling them and, and then giving them a drill to do over and over again, which is kind of the old fashioned approach. Uh, but obviously from a strength and conditioning point of view, we don't probably, it's not so much about, it's a bit more subtle, I guess, because we're, we're really going through that. We're about the training and trying to force an adaptation from a physiological point of view, more than a skill point of view. But there are definitely um, opportunities from a strength and conditioning point of view. If, it, if you're doing something a bit complex like Olympic weightlifting, where it is more skill based and you're trying to refine and shape their skill, you could give them a drill and get them to experience the, the feeling of doing it better technically versus what they had done before. So there's probably some crossover there. So I guess there's two main facets. There's sort of that overall athlete monitoring empowerment that we talked about last podcast, where you're trying to get them to manage themselves as an athlete better. Um, and then there's the, you know, more skill-based approach, which is, you know, team sports lap that stuff up, you know, game sense approach is, is huge now. So golf, yeah, golf's got an interesting position with this. Once again, it's just a slightly different sport, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is, Paul. Let's let's start at it from that from that golf coaching perspective, so to speak. So, I, I've had so many clients over the over the years come to me for a coaching session and say, "Tell me what to do." Mm. Uh, okay, I'm doing this. You have to correct it. Tell me exactly what I need to do to fix that. Um, and the science out there now shows that they will understand it and apply it so much more easily if they understand it themselves, if they work it out for themselves. But mm. it can be a challenge sometimes to get um, some golfers to actually feel like they they can actually do that they they come mm. to you they say i'm paying you a fee to teach me how to play golf you tell me the stuff that i need to do so and i suppose you you could probably do something similar with your with your um coaching as well so giving them um the ability to feel different exercises mm. as they're trained opposed to mm. uh, just telling them this is what you have to do and this is how you have to do giving them a couple of different options, I suppose. I don't know. But, um, but it, again, when it comes to golf coaching, if someone has a certain problem, I'll give them a game, as you said, to to try and correct that problem. But getting them to do that through self-discovery and self-practice to get um, a heaps better performance outcome because they can they can – apply that change much more easily i found than if you tell them exactly what to do but it's mm. it, it, it can be challenging sometimes to get those those players on on board so yeah is it is there anything that you come across in that space yeah well i mean there's no doubt that you would retain the memory of an experience that you've had yourself where you had a breakthrough or a discovery than just something that somebody told you there's no doubt. So, so the skill of us as a coach is to lead them to those experiences. The probably the biggest barrier that I have to it in what I do with golfers is well, I've got sort of two types of golfer that I work with. I have golfers that I get to train on a regular basis that I might see once or twice a week, and I can obviously I have a lot more opportunity with those players to to have those little experiences, and it just it just becomes intertwined in the way you instruct. Um, where you, I'll get them to, 
if I, if I see a technique for, let's say someone's doing a deadlift and their spine is rounded and I'm looking at it going, wow, that's dangerous. But, you know, hopefully we're only lightweight at that point in time. So maybe it's not, it's safe enough to go through the experience and I'll get them to, uh, I'll get them to do it, do a repetition or do a few repetitions, see how it felt, watch themselves in the mirror, and then I'll get them to do it in the, the correct form and then get them to maybe do some reps in the poor form and actually feel the difference themselves. It takes a lot. It, it just takes that little bit more time to do it. But it, but realistically, you know, if you do that over one or two sessions, you may never have to go and do it again. So you save time in the long run, but you need to be prepared to, to, to look at it being a bit ugly for a bit um, and, you know, let, take that extra few repetitions, I guess, to give them the time to have the experience of what is good technique versus what is poor technique. Now, um, from a mm. coaching perspective, and I've been, ex- I'll put my hand up straight now and say I'm extremely guilty of doing this, especially early in my coaching. Um, I would give someone a, a swing change and I would explain to them what it should feel like. And mm. that was essentially based on my own playing experience. So as a player, I felt this. And when I do that drill, I feel this. Whereas you get such better results from your students if you get them to explain it back to you in their words and what they're feeling mm. and start to use their words to explain to them. And mm. that I was I was extremely guilty of that early on. And I would have thought um, in strength and conditioning, because it's very technique heavy, um, you have to use the correct form and the correct technique, otherwise you'll hurt yourself. Do you did you find that as a trap early on where you were explaining certain techniques in your I own? Still film? Do it. I, I, I still do it. Yeah, I still do it because the thing is, typically the, the typical process for strength and conditioning is, let's say I'm showing an exercise for the first time. I'll I'll name the exercise. So this is the deadlift. Here's the here's how I set up. Here's what I want to feel. I'll demonstrate the movement. And then basically give them the opportunity to then try and mimic that themselves. So I basically started out by explaining what good technique is and possibly a couple of the feels that I want. But I guess the thing is to be able to then let go of that when they're having their turn. So when they're having their turn and other people, particularly in a group, will jump in and instruct as well because they can spot flaws. Now, that's great for them that they can spot that. They're training their own eye, which they might be able to use on themselves, but it doesn't necessarily help that person that's doing the ref right there. Um, a bit like the playing partner telling them that they've lifted their head or, or whatever. You know, the, the, the five different tips I get every hole on the golf course probably isn't going to help them, but it might actually help the person that said it, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to, to understand that, there's different phases of instruction. So there's the initial stuff where you're showing hopefully pristine good good technique and giving some good cues, but then allowing them to have their own experience of going through the journey like I did with my with my exercise techniques. Um, but that, that, that coaching has to happen and understand that you have to correct those faults and tell them how to do certain things. But I've also found that as soon as they get – the correct technique in speech marks there to feed it back in their own terms. Yeah, and then you start to use yeah. those terms when you're coaching them. So you jot those terms down and start to write 
and start to use those terms back to them. So if their technique starts to fall off um, in two or three weeks' time, for example, you can go back to those cues that they fed back to you that they were feeling when they were doing it correctly. I found golf coaches are really good at that, better than strength and conditioning coaches are. Because I think there's almost so much paranoia with strength and conditioning that the athlete's going to get injured that you, you're allowed to throw out good coaching technique that we're talking about right now because it's just too dangerous. But it, it's going to be dangerous the next time they're on their own lifting if they, don't have good, if they haven't embedded it in for themselves. And at the point where we're talking about basic flaws and poor technique, they should be lifting very light at that point in time. So it's not that dangerous. Yeah. Well, again, well, people interpret words differently. So if mm. you're telling them to keep a, uh, uh, their back straight, for example, mm. what they feel is straight and what actually is straight might be two different things. So all of a sudden you've got – so then to have a straight back, it might feel to them like it's like it's curved. So yeah. Um, then you've got to start to use those those terms back to them, I think, as a, as a, as a coach. So it can yeah. be challenging sometimes to get those right words and right terms into those players and into but those like athletes. like you say, uh, the power of the question. And we, we need to basically have more, you know, we need most of us need to add more questioning into the way we instruct. And, uh, again, I think golf coaches, the good, good coaches that I've worked with are actually very good at it and well-drilled. Um, it's yeah. pr- probably more people from my profession that struggle. Yeah, okay, for sure. Mm, <laughs> okay, yeah. so after you've gone into that, that you've, you, you, you've got those those train, those train people that you're training in front of you, you've got their technique down where it's safe and they're doing the correct movements. How much power do you give them over their actual training? How much, stru- how much structure do you set out formally for them and how much do you give them the flexibility to be able to, to tweak it on their own? Yeah, so again, I, so I didn't really – close off what I was saying before so I've got two types of golfers that I work with the ones that I see once or twice a week um, and then there's so many other players that I've worked with particularly the, the more I guess the more elite players where I'll see them two or three times a year um, if I'm lucky I might get a six-week training block in where I can see them once or twice a week and that's fantastic and we can do some really good stuff there but I really have to set a structure for them that can be flexible and dynamic enough to fit all the different environments that, it, that they're traveling around to still allow them to progress, which is really important because there's way too many players still who are just training regularly throughout the year and not actually getting better physically, just maintaining. And maintaining is much better than going backwards, but there's no reason why they can't progress and be 10 to 15% better year on year for a lot of years in a row by having a a decent structure to their program so that's what i try and give to them and then it's up to them to be responsive enough to their environment to adapt to different equipment that they have um, and, and to, to basically record it so i set up a structure where um, we have a set and rep scheme that basically varies and, and goes in order but if if they do two days of training this week four days next week three the next five the next I set it up so that, that that's okay because they're still just following the period I was playing in order. Um, so we're going through our cycles and they just have to adapt to their, you know, how they're feeling, their recovery, their availability of equipment. So their ability to adapt on the run is absolutely crucial. Um, but I try and give them enough structure so that the whole process doesn't fall in a heap and, and uh, you know, they just make it up as they go because making it up as they go doesn't, I've found it doesn't work very well. 
It's true. Fair <laughs> point. Fair point. Um, it, 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 and it's it's tough too because you do want to give them that power over their over their training. You do want to give them that power to be able to to tweak it if, if they need to, as we spoke about last time. Um, mm. If they aren't feeling totally fit or they aren't feeling a hundred percent, giving them that flexibility to be able to change it, but you don't want them to be to take advantage of that either mm. and actually stop training hard enough so to speak or properly mm. um it can be a fine line sometimes between giving them that yeah. power and giving them that that flexibility sometimes yeah and look that's a personality issue i i, I think uh, as in you've got to be able to read the room with your players and know what their personality is now there's some that have a great need to be in control of what they do and golf itself is a sport that seems to lend itself to that where they've got to feel like they're in charge they're driving the bus they're they're the king they're the ceo so um because you need to feel that way on the golf course i think sometimes it spills over into all parts of their development now if they're upskilled enough that's fine it works really well if they're not then then that's when i sort of find i need to play the role of you know if they're ceo well then i have to be their secretary Right, but I and I'm, and I need to be willing to do that, not be too pig-headed and think that I need to be the CEO of my little domain of their development. Um, so I think you've got to read the room there. And I guess what I pay attention to over time is when I've got players and athletes that are buying in more and more and more as the years go by, months and years go on. And so I've got a number of players that I've worked with over a long period of time that I just know are doing a decent level of training, even if I haven't spoken to them in two or three months, um, because it's there. They, they truly own it, you know, and it's not for me to be telling them what to do all the time. I almost feel like there's only so many credits of that that you can have with a person before they don't want to listen anymore and they want it to be theirs. So I don't know. I, I just think our interpersonal skills as a coach are paramount there. Yeah, that makes sense. That. Yeah. Get out of my head because you you've almost gone down the exact same path that oh, I was <laughs> as well there. Because I I would think that it a it comes down to the type of person standing in front of you. So if they've got mm. that if they got if they got that correct uh, type of person that will go and do that training by themselves, you can certainly push them down that more of an empowerment path by themselves. Mm. But if you've got someone who is possibly not quite as internally keen to get out there and do the practice. You might need to push them a little bit more. Mm. Um, and also the 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 standard of golfer or the standard of athlete in front of you. So if if you have the the typical club golfer, for example, that only plays a couple of times um, yeah. per month, yeah. um, you aren't going to give that kind of person too much control over their own training but if you've got that that high performance type player um you probably got to give those players a bit more room to breathe when it comes to doing their own training look my philosophy is um i totally agree with everything you just said there my philosophy is that i want them to fall in love with their training i want them to fall in love with their development their training and so with that mindset i don't know i just i haven't really had too many troubles over the years if um I see a lot of coaches, not not necessarily golf coaches, but I have seen some that that feel it's their need to to stand over their their players and to to drive them hard, and as though they're the only people in the world that know how to work hard. 
Whereas I think most people are naturally competitive. And if they're in, if they're seeing me for a program for golf, they're, they're competitive. They are competitive people. So it's not for me to stifle them and show them that I can drive harder than them. It's for me to, to, uh, I guess, encourage that within them and to help that foster that and let it grow within them. That, that kind of brings up a, a question now. So I've, I've had this in certain situations where I've had certain types of golfers in front of me that will tend to do too much of too much type of, of the same type of training, of, of a certain type of training. So they'll mm. do too much on-course play, for example, or they'll, they'll do mm. too much short game practice because they've already got high-level skills in that. Do you find that there's people in your field that train too hard and you have to actually pull them back a little bit when it comes to doing too much training? Uh, yeah, I, I have, but um, like, like I say, you know, that, that drive, that intrinsic drive is something that, we all want to see in our athletes. So when we see it, we don't necessarily want to stifle it. Um, I don't like putting the handbrakes on them, but what I would challenge them to do, because they respond to challenge very well, is to, is to train more intelligently, train more comprehensively, train more extensively, rather because you're right, there's, there's, there are still too many golfers that are doing one-dimensional training um, and that's probably part of that making it up as they go along thing. They've got the drive, but they do what they like <laughs> as well. Yep, so, yep. so if they, I, I, I would challenge, so rather than telling them not to do something, I'd be telling them to do something that they're not currently doing. So if they want to get better, so keep challenging them to be more diverse and more, more intelligent with what they're doing. Because if you can spot, if, if you can spot a hole in what they're doing, and sort of call them out on that it's you know they respond to challenge so i believe that and um so that's probably the yeah tell them what to do not what not to do it makes sense could we could we guide that by something as simple as keeping a training journal so if you had all your golfers keeping training journals and statistics on their practice and on their tournaments and on their rounds and on their scores and having conversations with those players so Personally, those players can sit down and, and identify the the spots that have to they the, the, that they should be training. So I think mm. empowering them to take control of their training by identifying the problem areas, as opposed to you having to yeah. tell them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, we're coaching them to coach themselves, aren't we? And um, and so um, actually, what, something I was reading um, on this sort of area is we we're we're training them to be decision makers. Yeah. And so, um, and obviously that it, we like to think it took us a while to learn what we know. <laughs> so, so, so sometimes, you know, maybe coaches think that, well, the player's never going to be at my level and, and nor do they have to be. But I think um, the more they know, the better. And uh, you just slowly build their repertoire of what they can make decisions on. Um, you know, using that analogy of the 16-year-old the kid on their L plates learning to drive, at some point we have to let them hold the steering wheel and be the nervous parent sitting next to them. <laughs> um, yeah. But obviously, you know, two years later they're on their P's and they're out there without you. And, um, and you know, we want some of these guys to be racing car drivers. We want them to be that good. So we do need to teach them how to use the dashboard. So. Athlete monitoring, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, is probably the main area of empowerment from my point of view from strength and conditioning. So totally yeah, agree. Sure. 
And again, just uh, that that driving a car um, is, is probably the perfect way to explain it. If we, if you have a high performance player in front of you as a golf coach, you're and their goal is to be a tour player. You're essentially training them to be able to go out on tour by themselves. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a sport where they're out there by themselves. They haven't generally got the coaches or the team uh, traveling every week with them. Um, so they have to have that power over their own training and then and that that understanding of how they go and how things have to work for them personally to mm. out, to be out there on tour by themselves and be able to complete that training by themselves. So I think that's that's an important tool to give you tool players. And I think that's especially in, in probably in, in Taiwan I found that. And again we're talking 10, 12 years ago now, but those players were spoon fed everything um, mm. through their through their junior career, so they didn't have that that talent to be able to go and set up stuff for themselves. So I I personally found that was really important for them to have that um, those skills because they're going to be out there by themselves very very soon, and if they haven't got those skills, they're certainly going to struggle. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, so um, you know, I guess from a from a strength and conditioning point of view, I've just got a couple of notes down here, like. One of the things that I'll do to ensure when a player is off on their own for three or four months doing their training program and they might be overseas and they might be playing a tournament every second week or whatever they're doing, my little template that I've got is we will do, say, four different rep schemes. So we might do three by 10, four by five reps, five by three, and then maybe two by 15. And we'd run them through... Typically, I'll have a, a program A, B, and C. So there'll be three different programs that they'll follow. So there's enough sort of diversity in there. Generally, about 30 to 40 different movements. So we get to, it's a comprehensive program. Um, and I'll get them to basically aim to, by the time they get back to the same program and the same rep scheme, because if, you, if you've got three programs and four rep schemes, there's, there's 12 sessions before you get back to the first session again. Now, by that point, you should go up in all your all of your weights. Everything that can be either made more complex or, or more resistant should go up because there's plenty of time for the body to adapt. So if you're sort of running through those those 12 session cycles, which is what I'll typically set up, um, which they'll probably get through once a month, they'll make an increment every month. Now, if they do that for, uh, for 12 months of the year, they should be 20 to 25% stronger or fitter um, every year. So that's, that's the process that I sort of try and run them through. So I'm, I'm empowering them for their own progressive overload because it's really simple um, and it just it keeps them honest. And it, probably the main reason I did that was to keep them more motivated as well, to feel like they're actually progressing. Because as you can probably appreciate with some of the, the golfers that you, that you coach, one of, the, one of the most motivating things is when they're improving, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's um, it's it's uh, it's it's a challenging space, I think. And um, I'm curious on your thoughts on the on a team sport coaching environment because I haven't had much exposure in that coaching environment. And to any team sport coaches out there that are keen to come on the podcast, I would love to have yeah. one. Um, I might be able I'm, to find a couple for you. I'm currently working hard on an assistant coach for the Australian cricket team, so hopefully oh, wow. you'll come on him on soon he grew up in Aubrey so I'm hoping he'll come and have a chat with me soon and um, I'm hopefully get some uh, team sport coach on at some stage as well so how does this change in a in a team sport coaching environment any thoughts on that Scott 
Well, I look to be honest, I haven't done a lot of team sport uh, coaching either. Like I, I've actually been, my main sports have been golf, sailing, equestrian, and boxing. Um, and I've done a little bit of a little bit of um, a little bit of cricket and a little bit of uh, football, but but not a lot. Um, so, but you know, I guess the the thing is, it's a, it comes back to that game sense. So there's so many opportunities in team sports to set up drills and activities that mimic what you're trying to improve as a team in the sport. So if you think about invasion based sports like soccer, um, basketball, football, rugby, any of those. It really, they can work out where the weaknesses in the team are and the way they play and the style that they play. And they can set up drills to, to mimic that where the team basically learns to do it in a, in a group fashion because there's got to be a lot of subconscious learning that goes on in that skill acquisition area with a team when you, we're talking about group dynamics and how quickly they respond to each other's cues and positions. So um, that's why it's, uh, it seems to be so effective in team sports. Well, in that team space, they have to. They're essentially out there on the field by themselves. They don't have that that hand holding, so to speak, from the coach or a caddy or for that type in in that type of situation. So they have to be able to change and uh, move and tweak what they're doing to suit the situation um, straight away. So yeah, we- and, and reducing reducing uh, reaction times in their decision making is massive. I mean, that is the difference between good teams and bad teams. So I would I would think from a from a purely coaching perspective, giving the the players that power over their own training um, to to self guide and self self guide the 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 structures of the of the training sessions through the week would certainly help that empowerment when they actually get to game day. Because um, mm. again, you see in a in a in a purely I'm talking AFL type situation where it's a a team based sport, but it's a it, it's a it's a, a strong structured place. Mm. So at a football club, a, a kid comes in there at seventeen or eighteen, and he's told to do this training wise, eat this food, turn up this time, do this, do that, do that. Very structured, and that may um, cause problems for them personally in future um, after they're out of that sport environment. They possibly don't have those skills and I'm sure it's improved over over the years but probably maybe 20 years ago that might have been um, some sort of problem mm. for those high performance players to come out of that structured setup and not and have to have to start doing things personally um, as opposed to yeah. having coaches too. I mean some of the um, players that I've worked with there's a couple of guys that, that have uh, that are sort of midway through their AFL careers now that I've worked with since they were quite young like sort of early teen years um, and so it was great being able to talk to them about what the first year or two going into the AFL system was like and I remember this is probably six or seven years ago one of the AFL clubs and a player that had been newly drafted and apparently you know back then it was sort of it would take 12 to 18 months to actually learn how the team plays and to okay. then be able to play your role in that team. So you often get these sort of these round one draft picks are obviously going to be the next star players. It takes them a while before they get to play their first game, you'll notice. I've always found that, you know, like, wow, you've got an 18-year-old kid who's that good. Surely he can be in their, in their team and, and surely that'll fast track his development. But they take their time in learning the team structures and the team roles. So that in itself is interesting. But then on the flip side of that, when you get players that are into their sort of early to mid-20s, 
they they put them into leadership roles. And so they'll now that they've learned, they'll they'll get them to teach. So I guess the 18 year old sees the 23 and 24 year old in the leadership groups and wants to be in their position. So I guess they they try and create an, an environment with a sort of an internal succession plan. So they become leaders pretty quickly. I I think they've probably tried to improve that um, so that players do feel more empowered. Um, yeah, that seems to be more the, the way it goes. But I can certainly understand when they come out of that system and they're just an individual Joe Public, that would be challenging because you're not part of that larger team. Yeah, but again, it's it, it's 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 certainly improved heaps over over the last the last few years. There's certainly more conscious of the of those problems that players may have after they get out of that that AFL structure or out of that that team sport structure but um mm. I'd be certainly keen to get some some team sport coaches in here to have a chat on the podcast at some at some stage so hopefully we can keep uh, heading down that path and getting some some other coaches on here as well yeah yeah absolutely well that's about all I had to cover Scott did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we close it off for today um, no, not really. Look, I, I think it's just uh, it's just ways to make athletes better, isn't it? Really, and um, you know, finding that balance between giving the athlete the best stuff, but then delivering it to them in the best way, um, so that they can own it and take it on and pass it on to other people. If they can teach it to other people, we've probably done our job. Yeah, and I've, and that is probably the I've always had that that thought as a golf coach, and I'm trying to coach myself out of a job. If mm. if I my my clients that understanding of their goal swing that they can self coach that's that's my my end game as a as a coach so I think that's that's important so uh, that was a really cool conversation mate thank you for coming in again today and having a chat with me thanks for having um, me mate just to hit everyone up for the socials so would again would be keen to hear your feedback on the type of show we're doing and what topics you would like to discuss so you can hit me up on Twitter at Coaching Pod and on Facebook and instagram at coaching uncovered and the facebook group name again scott for me golf performance science if you want to get more of the latest and greatest from golf performance science related uh findings that i'm sort of trying to put out make it nice and palatable for everybody and we can have a good chat about it as well so jump into that group and we can share some ideas and get some good conversations going